Hoinga, he is gone. And Birnbaum is hurt. Touchdown, Idaho. Birnbaum's down at the 33. His back or his neck, uh, but you can see pressure right up the middle. Kosi will come. Nofoinga comes up the middle, and there's just a big pressure that's put on by Maltosi, and then it's off to the races for Nofo. Huge turn of events. Cougars were looking like they were going to put it in the end zone or get three out of it. Touchdown like they did, Baylor did to UNLV. What an incredible finish to that football game a week ago. That'll be the final snap. Welcome back for another edition of the Big Sky Podcast Network Power Rankings. I'm your host, Brian Marceau. Mercifully handling that mute button, it is not in the on position. Last I checked, but I'm sure the comments are to let me know if I have no idea what I'm talking about. For those who are curious, uh, at some point, we will let go of the two-minute marathon mute session that started last week, but that week is not this week. But anyway, we're back for, like I said, another edition. You guys know the drill. Big Sky Podcast Network Power Rankings. is a, The vote itself is a, a combination of Big Sky Podcast Network contributors, guys like Mike, Mike Nugent from Grizz Fan, Brent Wahlberg from Grizz Fan, both Orions from R&R CatCast, Colby Peterson from Weber State Weekly, Kyler Neal from SCS Fans Nation, and Eagle Power Hour. Yeah, we got the comment thread saying sound is actually working. <laughs> um, all the tubs, the clubs, guys, even Dallas rem remembered to vote this week about goddamn time. We've also we're also getting a lot of contribution from Big Sky area uh, beat reporters, uh, guys like Brett Hine from Weber, covering Weber State, guys like Greg Woods covering Idaho State, Taryn Kovach, a Idaho beat alum. Anyway, the way way it works, all the votes are put together, they're averaged out. I deliver the votes, and that's it. A couple things that are different this week. I told you last week, I'm officially sticking the fork in some teams because look, bad teams are just going to continue to be bad teams. And there's not much point talking about them that much. Heading into this week, the fork stuck teams were Idaho State and Northern Colorado. We're going we're gonna to add a couple teams to that list this week. But also, I'm going to go over the what I call the Hope Misery Index. Think of it as a, scale, a 10 point scale that's actually going five each way, negative five for misery, positive five for hope. Zero is your absolutely neutral. Any other score in between, that's just something in between. We're getting started right away with a team I should have stuck a fork in, it turns out. New number 12, guys. Last place, Cal Poly. And spoiler alert, there's a fork in Cal Poly right now. Cal Poly, the Mustangs lose to Idaho State 40-31. And heading into this game, I finally learned news about starting quarterback Jaden Jones, freshman for Cal Poly, who looked promising early in the season as a dual threat guy. Yeah, he blew out his knee. So Jaden Jones is not coming back this year. Spencer Brash is just going to run the show. He's a transfer from Cal. He started last season for Cal Poly. He's been okay. But honestly, that Spencer Brash is going to have to be Superman for Cal Poly to pick up many more wins this season. Cal Poly trailed Idaho State uh, essentially the entire game going down 14-7 to in the first quarter, trailing 24-7 to at halftime. Cal Poly did threaten in the in the fourth quarter, picking up two scores. But look, the, the reason the, the fork is officially stuck in this team is Idaho State is a terrible rushing offense. And Cal Poly, uh, the team who up front had looked maybe okay early in the season, 
Yeah, Cal Poly surrenders 293 rushing yards to Idaho State on 46 attempts. That's 6.4 yards per rush. So, look, defensively, if Cal Poly is going to be that bad, there's almost no reason to talk about the, the Mustangs. Cal Poly had looked a little fun at times because you can see they can produce through the air. Spencer Brash in backup role, he's still doing okay. He was 30 of 48 for 392 yards, throws four touchdowns. But, again, against Idaho State, a, another very bad defensive team. We'll hit the Idaho State stats in a, in a second. Spencer Brash throws four interceptions. That's how a team like Cal Poly, who talent-wise should probably beat Idaho State, trails the entire game. So, look, Cal Poly, Fork is officially stuck in them after I run through a couple defensive stats for Cal Poly. Look, look this is uh, conference-only stats. Because I think at this point, we we can now look at some of the conference-only stats because teams have between three and four games. And look, defensively, Cal Poly is – they just can't stop anyone on either on either end of the field. If you want to look at rushing, rushing stats defensively, well, Cal Poly has given up 5.3 yards per rush and nine touchdowns, nine – rushing touchdowns in just three big sky games, 210 yards per game. Cal Poly has given up. You want to look at through the air. Cal Poly is second to last in the league in yards allowed per game at 299 yards through the air. Yes. They've only surrendered seven touchdowns passing, but that's because it can't stop anyone on the ground and completion percentage. Cal Poly allows is just under 70%. So look, if Cal Poly can't stop anyone, which they can't, no reason to talk about them. Fork is officially stuck in Cal Poly. Number 11, Northern Colorado. That's a team that's already already has a fork stuck in them. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on Northern Colorado. The, the Bears looked good for them, losing 37-14 to 14 to Montana State, uh, at Montana State. Now, sorry, at uh, Northern Colorado. Now, this was a close game early. Northern Colorado actually led 7-3 at the end of the first quarter, trailed. 17 to 14 at halftime. Then it's just a blowout. Uh, 13, 13 to zero Montana state third quarter, seven zero on the fourth quarter. Uh, again, Northern Colorado for them looks okay. But like I said, there's a fork stuck in them because we're not going to talk about Northern Colorado that much. Uh, the bears are like most teams against Montana state, not effective at stopping the rush. Montana state rushes, uh, 45 times for 231 yards. It's 5.1 yards per rush. Uh, Northern Colorado has their best rushing game of the season in Big Sky play. 108 yards on 25 attempts. Uh, although, spoiler alert, part of that was a 58-yard touchdown run by Elijah Dotson. Subtract that 58 yards from that 108 total, and you're looking at 24 rushes for 54 total yards. So uh, 108 over 25 rushes not actually indicative of how Northern Colorado rushed the ball. Uh Dylan McCaffrey back to, okay, stat line, threw it 50 times for 278 yards. So 50 passing attempts can't get to 300 yards, one touchdown, one interception. This is the Max McCaffrey thing of this is the Max McCaffrey offense. Uh, As far as what Dylan McCaffrey gets to do, he's going to throw dink and dunk passes. That's all they do. That's not going to work against Montana State. Yeah, I was kind of close for a half, but uh, look, Northern Colorado has a fork stuck in him, so we're moving on. Uh, Another team that already has a fork stuck in it, Idaho State. Got to hit their game from the Idaho State angle. Already talked about the fact that Idaho State beat Cal Poly. Now, uh, good news. Good news for Idaho State. 
is the Bengals picked up a win. We don't want to see any team go with zero wins, which reminds me, we got to hit that hope and misery index real quick for uh, Cal Poly, Northern Colorado, and Idaho State. We'll do it as a batch because those three teams are the worst in the league. Idaho State, their end, you know, the, the positive you take away is Idaho State was finally able to rush to rush the ball. Rain Hunter leads. Rain Hunter does not lead the team in, in total rushing yards. He led the team in rush attempts, but uh, the "quote unquote" three-headed monster for Idaho State of uh, we had Kiowa Kauhai seven carries for eighty yards, including a sixty-yard run, one touchdown. We have Benjamin Mebu ten rushes for seventy-four yards and a touchdown, a long of fifty-one. Then our man, our man Rain Hunter. 13 rushes for 57 yards and a touchdown. Another touchdown rush came from Soja Gasu. Man, there's a lot of these Idaho State names. I don't know. Uh, But 46 rushes for 293 yards. Big game for Idaho State. Uh, Also, Hunter Hayes, the second-string quarterback, was back. He went 17-23 to for 202 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. But look, this is the only only type of game Idaho State is going to be able to win this entire season. They're look offensively in Big Sky play. The team averages 20 points a game. By the way, that's on the heels of just scoring 40 against Cal Poly. Defensively, Idaho State, they're they're kind of they're middle-ish of the pack in terms of points allowed at 30. They're giving up 32.8 points per game, but it's just covered a second ago. Idaho State can't score well enough. And uh defensively if you want to look a little more narrowly idaho state rush defense i mean kind of okay at 175 yards per game allowed 4.3 rush uh pass defense uh, idaho state again like we're we're kind of pulling at straws because the Bengals aren't the worst in every single category they're just bottom third to bottom half pass defense they allow 261 yards through the air 69.8 percent completion percentage so damn near 70 percent completion percentage uh so in short idaho state there's just nothing in particular this team does well at least they're not playing third string quarterback so the hope misery index uh batching these three teams because look the jury's in cal poly northern colorado idaho state all three of them are forked at this point they're kind of the those three are kind of the clear last place teams so hope misery index cal poly i'm going to give them a misery index of negative two because there's at least some moments where cal poly has looked fun and their first string quarterback jane jones before he went out looked like he could be an impact player in the big sky so negative two for cal poly northern colorado i am throwing their their misery at negative five and the Northern Colorado is not the least talented team in the league. It's just with Max McCaffrey specifically behind the wheel for the offense and Ed McCaffrey not looking like he's taking the big sky that seriously still. I just don't see how Northern Colorado has any route to turning it around. You can see Cal Poly at least moving some parts in the right direction, mostly on the offensive end. Defensively, they're terrible. But Northern Colorado who does have some talent across both sides of the ball, but they're contributing at the level of a Cal Poly, Idaho State, and Northern Colorado team. That's why, to me, they're negative five. Because, look, there's something different about Northern Colorado that makes their inclusion, their firm inclusion in this group frustrating. Because talent-wise, Northern Colorado is easily the best out of this bottom three. Idaho State, misery index, I'm going to put them at 
negative. They're, they're the hardest to read. Cause actually Idaho state's kind of the saddest story, which you'd think is negative five, but you can tell yourselves the Idaho state fan hates first year, Charlie Regal. And we like Charlie Regal, the guy, maybe turnarounds there. So I'm going to give Idaho state a negative three misery index, but uh, none of these teams are particularly close. Northern Colorado is to me, they're the most negative because they shouldn't be nor the Bears should not be this low, but they are moving on now. Number nine, Northern Arizona. Uh, this is a team that is officially forked after this run through Northern, Northern Arizona. Look, the, the lumberjacks early in the season looked solid, especially on the defensive side of the ball. That's just out the window, guys. It's over. Northern Colorado gets killed at UC Davis, 56 to 27. Game that is not close at all. Look at halftime. Davis leads 35 to 6. So, yes, the Lumberjacks did put a few points on the board. The BS emotional, like moral victory here is Northern Arizona can say they won the second, they tied the second half, 21 21. But look, being down 35 to 6 in the first half, surrendering 688 yards to UC Davis, a UC Davis team that this is the second win for the Aggies on the season, the first non-pioneer conference win for the Aggies on the season. So look, NAU defensively was the one thing that was kind of early in the season was where the optimism came for the Lumberjacks. It was confusing for NAU to have a couple strong defensive outings early. We, again, we can ignore those. NAU, they can't, cannot defend. And NAU also can't move the ball well enough against solid big sky teams at all. So what do Lumberjacks do? Well, they lose. Uh, for this game, RJ Martinez had some parts of an okay outing. He's 25 48, so he gets a lot of reps, uh, but 314 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Uh, Martinez rushes one time for 11 yards, but uh, Martinez still has not really found the form he had as a freshman. I think the jury's also in the freshman art version of RJ Martinez is a guy we're just not going to see for Northern Arizona this year, except against the bottom of the conference and the running, the running back room for Northern Arizona. It's a mess due to injuries. Uh, leading rusher this week was George Robinson, 13 carries for 63 yards receiving room led by Jamal Glassby, five catches for a hundred yards. Stacy Chuck has his first kind of okay. Of the okay game of the year, five catches for 65 yards. Chuck had been an all big sky level guy prior to injury last season. Uh, but again, look, a single receiver contributing. Okay. Is not that big a deal. Big picture for NAU is let's look, look at the offensive side, side of the ball, Northern Arizona. They, they can move. They have, Move the ball okay pass wise, but here's a here's kind of a weird stat passing wise. The top three passing offenses in the Big Sky, no team has close to a winning record. Cal Poly's number one at three hundred forty nine point seven yards per game in Big Sky, which just covered them. Davis is number two passing team at three hundred two point seven yards per game. They're probably the best passing team of these top three in the Big Sky. At least, sorry, best overall team. Northern Arizona is the number three passing team in the league at 278.3 yards per game. That The bigger deal I'd take away from that is just the big sky right now. Conferences always evolve in what is what good teams do in the conference. And right now the big sky is in a mini era where a lot of teams are trying to do ball control and have passing be a little bit more of a complementary part of the offense. So 
honestly, having big passing stats right now is more indicative of not being of teams not being able to run the ball, not necessarily having some large advantage over over opposing teams. Uh, in terms of of uh, of passing defense, Northern Arizona in Big Sky play sits at last place, surrendering 318 yards per game, t- surrendering 10 touchdowns to two t- two interceptions. So. Uh, there you go. That defensive hope from earlier in the season is done. Fork stuck in Northern Arizona. And honestly, NAU to me might be the most, have the worst misery rating, if not for Northern Colorado. I'm going to give NAU's misery rating a minus four. And I say minus four because, again, this is a team that there is some talent on Northern Arizona. But Chris Balls in his third year, NAU is starting to regress. In 2021, NAU finished at 500 in Big Sky Play, four and four. There's no way Northern Arizona finishes at 500 in Big Sky Play this year. This team's, and that, look, this season, NAU had one of the best returning quarterbacks based off production from last season. And Martinez just hasn't been as good as he looked last season. Uh, players don't always improve linearly. That's just a fact of, of all sports, not just college football. But, Northern Arizona, I don't know what to look at as a fan and say, this is the part of Northern Arizona football that makes me excited for either the rest of this season or next year. It seems to me, look, moving backwards in year three, when NAU never really even made meaningful strides with Chris Ball in the first couple of years, as a Lumberjack fan, I'm starting to wonder, okay, are we just does Chris Ball now just play out his contract? Is this dude on the hot seat? What's the budget situation in Northern Arizona? Because this team isn't, they're not the worst in the league, but they're moving in the wrong direction. That's that's how I that's why to me when I think of Big Sky teams, this is clearly the team I would be. Other than Northern Colorado, this is the team that if I'm a fan, that I am the least optimistic of Northern Arizona. Idaho State's obviously worse than Northern Arizona, but at least it's year one of a coach having to do a huge overhaul. Cal Poly probably a little is a little bit worse than Northern Arizona. Cal Poly lost to Northern Arizona this season, but you can at least point to the parts of Cal Poly that are improving. I, I challenge any, any NAU fan to point to the section of NAU that's improved relative to last couple seasons. I say that because I just don't think you're going to find it. So NAU officially a fork stuck in, in pretty damn low on the misery index. Number eight, top five, Portland state. Portland state had a, a, a predictable week guys. Look there. They played Weber State. Weber State is very good. There's a little bit of anxiety on the Weber State fan base side because in 2021, Portland State pulled off an upset of Weber State in a kind of out of nowhere fashion. But largely it's because Weber State had a disappointing season in 2021. Portland State, yeah, there was no, there was uh, no magic this year for Portland State against Weber. Vikings go down 42 to 7. Portland State, look, they score one touchdown. They don't score until the fourth quarter, six minutes left in the fourth quarter to pull the game narrowly within 35-7. Then Weber punches in another touchdown. As has been a theme for the Vikings this year, Portland State absolutely cannot run whatsoever. Their only rushing threat is quarterback Dante Sacheray with some designed runs and also just uh, trying to make something out of nothing when the line fails. Sash Ray, leading rusher, 19 rushes for 20 yards. Yes, that's the large Sash Ray with 19 rushes 
is clearly the only running option for for Portland State and well against Weber State that you certainly could not produce as a passer Sash Ray is okay and Weber State's defense is more than okay so uh, Sash Ray goes 18 to 29 for 167 yards one touchdown one pick Vikings overall accrue a total of 236 yards while giving up 555 well there's your game Anyway, look, if the team gives up six, a team surrenders 555 yards. Do Is there really much to talk about? Portland State, the only reason a fork is not being stuck in Portland State at this moment is because the Vikings at times look like maybe if a team completely face plants against Portland State, the Vikings can pull off a win. The last, the last week Portland State is interesting is this week. Traveling to Idaho just only reason Portland state is interesting is not because of Portland state. It's just Idaho who we'll talk about later is looking pretty damn good. So it's just to make sure Idaho doesn't face plant against the Vikings after this week. If Idaho wins, Portland state's going to have a fork stuck in them. Misery index in Portland state going to go negative three Portland state. Not they're not as bad as Idaho state. The reason I guess I say negative three instead of negative four or five for Portland State is because everyone knows the budgetary situation of Portland State. Everyone knows Portland State's athletic department does not treat athletics. Uh, it does not give athletics a Division One treatment. So what can anyone reasonably expect from Portland State? The team at least has su- gets some guys who are interesting, some guys who are talented. But Portland State overall, look, they're two and four on the season. Only one total D1 win. It came against Northern Arizona. So, hey, congrats. Portland State beat one of maybe the best of the worst, except Portland State is looking like they're just going to be lumped in that bottom five. There's a clear bottom three I talked about, but Portland State and Northern Arizona are kind of knocking on the door of being included in that bottom tier group. Early in the season, NAU and Portland State both looked like they were part of the mid-tier group. They're clearly not. So I guess the only only question for both NAU and Portland State throughout the rest of the year is, uh, will those two separate to be a not completely catastrophically terrible group of two, or are Portland State and NAU truly just as bad as the other three, as the other teams already covered? We're done talking about Portland State. Again, they're, they're kind of like Cal Poly. Last week, I should have stuck a fork in Cal Poly. I should probably stick a fork in Portland State this week, but whatever. We're, we're going to give NA, we're going to give Portland State one final shot. Moving on. Number seven, Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington has had just preposterous schedule luck, and that schedule luck is just not going to change this season with how uh, other teams in the big sky we're going to get to later have developed. So, Eastern Washington hosts Sacramento State for homecoming. Sacramento State, spoiler alert, very good team. Eastern Washington, not a terrible team, but certainly not Sac State level. Eagles go down 52-28. to Uh, This was a game that was really not close from the get-go. Sac State scores 21 points in the first quarter, including a uh, 22-yard pick six. And two rushing touchdowns, 37, well, sorry, a, a one rushing touchdown from Asher Hara and a 37-yard uh, passing touchdown. Jake Dunaway to running back Cameron Scadaboo. Scadaboo, we'll talk about that dude later. Eastern's formula has been the Eagles can move the ball. Again, there is talent in Eastern in Eastern Washington. Against Sacramento State, the Eagles accrued 460 yards. The problem for the Eags is twofold. One, 
Eastern is not a very good rushing team. Aaron Best really wants his team to be good, good rushing. And just flat out, they're not. The pass-to-rush ratio Eastern had against Sacramento State, part of it's because they're down. But Aaron Best has been open. He wants to have his teams at about a 50-50-ish split. Well, his team can't run. So Aaron Best doesn't get to do the thing he wants to do. Credit Aaron Best for at least adapting. But again, Sacramento State, the Eags passed 45 times. They're much more effective moving the ball through the air at uh, 370 yards on 45 attempts compared to 90 rushing yards on 25 attempts. But that 45 passes, 25 rush ratio, not what Aaron Best wants, not what he was envisioning when Best recruited this team. On the season, Eastern Washington with their defensively, the Eagles are just, they're just not a particularly strong, just not a particularly strong team. Uh, overall, overall Eastern Washington, they have their passing defense numbers are okay. Or they're, or they're surprisingly okay, but we'll get to why they're surprisingly okay. They give up 162 yards passing per game, but they're giving up eight yards per pass have picked off three passes while score while allowing five touchdowns. So not like the worst ratio in the league by any means, but the, the issue the, the Eags really have is against the rush Eastern Washington. It is hard to get worse than Eastern Washington against the rush. It's not possible to get worse than Eastern Washington against the rush in the big sky. Eastern's clearly last place rushing defense, big sky. They're allowing 321 rushing yards per game. 5.8 yards per rush, giving up 11 touchdowns. Now, a reasonable Eagles fan might say, okay, hold on, hold on. Eastern can't defend the, the rush whatsoever, but look at the ske- opening Big Sky schedule Eastern played of Montana State, who the Eagles hung tough with in week two, then Weber State, then Sacramento State. Those are the three top five teams that Eastern pl- has played in conference. This week, Eastern finally gets a reprieve traveling to Cal Poly. So keep that in mind when looking at the abysmal rushing stats. So maybe Eastern actually isn't a give up 320 yards rushing team in Big Sky play. When Once we average it out, Eastern might radically improve and shoot up to only allowing 250 yards rushing per game. Well, there's a lot of room for Eastern to improve against the the run defensively and still be in last place. Number 11 rushing team in the big sky is Northern Colorado, giving up 241.5 rushing yards per game. So it's an 80-yard gap between number 12 Eastern and number 11 Northern Colorado per game. That's the level of bad Eastern is against stop in stopping the rush. Now, to give a little bit of little little bit of positive attention to Eastern. Gunner Talkington, solid, like a mostly solid stat line. He's 26 of 45 for 300, 370 yards, throws three touchdowns, uh, technically four touchdowns because he threw a pick six in the first quarter as well. Uh, Talkington also rushes two times for seven yards. Uh, but leading receiver, Efton Chisholm III had a, one of the stat lines you'd expect from a guy who talent-wise is an all-big all sky level dude, nine receptions, 129 yards, and two touchdowns. Freddie Roberson, another all big sky level talent, three receptions, 97 yards and a touchdown. So look, Eastern is clearly, look, I was just talking pretty poorly about NAU and Portland state. Eastern's a different kind than NAU and Portland state. Eastern's going to finish with a losing record because their schedule is an absolute nightmare this year. The Eags are sitting at one and five. They might be the best one in five football team in the history of the big sky conference, but the schedule doesn't, doesn't really get that much easier for Eastern already covered 
the Eagles have played three top five teams. You get a couple weeks off with Cal Poly coming up this week in Portland State afterward. But then before closing at Northern Colorado for another win, the Eagles have back-to-back weeks at Idaho, at Montana. Both of those teams are – Idaho polls might have top 10 based off how the season goes. Montana still is top 10. So that's just in big sky play. The Eagles drew five teams that are top 15 or better by the time Eastern's going to have played them. It's an eight game big sky schedule guys. So five of their games, top 15 teams. The, the only way any team does okay with that is being just elite and Eastern is just not elite this year. It's a rebuilding year. So hope misery index. I give Eastern, honestly, I'd give them a, I'm going to give Eastern a two right now for hope. There isn't hope for this season. Let me say different. I'm going to give Eastern two and a half for hope. There isn't much hope for this season other than maybe being able to spoil the uh, playoff seeding or hopes for the remainder of their schedule is Idaho, Montana. Uh, that That's kind of the, the guiding light is can Eastern look competitive in those games? They're going to beat the crap out of the team. Suck. But Eastern schedule included, look, they played Florida and Oregon in the out of conference. And then they play like the top five big sky teams. So look, that just that's just rough in a rebuilding year. There's no way to have that schedule in a rebuilding season finish anything but sub 500. There certainly is some talent in Eastern, but I'm not going to put their. I don't want their hope to be too high overall because I do think Aaron Best is kind of guiding Eastern into being solid, but a significant step below the level Eastern fans are used to from the past decade. Uh, Best is a good coach, but he certainly you certainly know Bo Baldwin, which is the dude who came before Aaron Best. So I believe Eastern now is settling into kind of a level of when they're solid, they'll make the playoffs and maybe win a game. And when they're less solid, they'll miss the playoffs by a game or two. They're always going to be competitive. Their worst case scenario is going to be solid. But I think until something radical changes in Eastern, this team is just not going to return to the team it was in the early aughts. They're going to keep being good. They're going to keep being able to get talent, but the the trend line is clearly down over the last five years for Eastern, uh, but it's not radically down. And relative to what this university is, Eastern's athletic department does a pretty damn good job. So hope index 2.5, maybe that, that might be a little bit high, but I don't know. I got a soft spot in my heart for what Eastern's done relative to their resources in the last couple decades. I don't want Eastern to sink too far down, but I, I think the jury's just in. Aaron, the the level that Aaron Best kind of has his team at is potentially solid early early type of playoff team, but not a threat to really advance beyond the second round, even if things click. How last year with the Walter Payton Award winner Eric Berrier, this team didn't make it past second round of playoffs. Moving on from Eastern to number six, we have UC Davis. UC Davis absolutely pounded Northern Arizona earlier, uh, as covered earlier. The, the Aggies win 56 to 27. The the Aggies offensively easily their best outing in FCS play so far. I'm probably counting that over San Diego. San Diego's non-scholarship. Uh, 688 yards accrued by UC Davis. Miles Hastings goes 21 to 26 for 328 yards and two touchdowns. It's it's a bit hard to do better or be more efficient than 21 to 26 for 328 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Ulonzo Gilliam, 16 rushes for 150 yards and two touchdowns, including a 77-yard rush. Land Larison adds five five carries, 86 yards, two touchdowns. 
Look, this team rushes for five touchdowns, passes for three touchdowns, just complete ass kicking, which is exactly what UC Davis needed. The Aggies now sit at two and four. They're another kind of schedule victim, but they're the inverse of Eastern in that UC Davis is now in an easy run of schedule where the, realistically the Aggies are probably going to win three more, in a row, three more in a row to get to five and four uh, after getting to travel to Northern Colorado next week, host Cal Poly the week after, then host Idaho State the week after that, closing the year at Idaho and at Sacramento State. Uh, look, this team's five and four with those two, with Idaho and Sacramento State left on the slate. Davis probably has to win both those to make the playoffs. Um, in the in the Big Sky Conference overall, UC Davis the last few years has had this knack for being solid as a team, but not not in, not particularly um, impressive in any individual any specific individual area. Just being like mid, mid to slightly above mid in multiple categories. Uh, that's. Not exactly Davis this season. Now, part of it's inflated from his last game, but Davis has the number two overall offense in the big sky in terms of total yards accrued, 527 yards per game. Uh, they turned that into 11 touchdowns, which is not that impressive. 11 touchdowns is actually closer to uh, bottom of the big bottom level in the big sky production. But uh, and defensively, Davis, they're they're you know middling. They're the number eight defensive team overall, giving up 460 yards. Uh, we'll see how Davis looks after what the Davis overall stats look like once they get their run of easy games. Because Davis in Big Sky play, they are they have accrued that number two total offense in the Big Sky against Weber State, Montana State, and look the, the winning against Northern Arizona certainly pumped that up, but an opening two weeks of Weber state and Montana state. Those are two strong defensive teams. So uh, maybe a reason to believe that this UC Davis team is going to be able to convert a bit more against these awful teams um, of, on those lo- that large amount of total yards accrued on the season. Hope misery index I have for UC Davis. I'm going to put them. I'm going to match them identically with, with Eastern Washington at 2.5 for hope. I don't think this team makes the playoffs. I do think look, I'm going to steal the words of Kyler Neal from a uh, big sky podcast network group chat, Kyler Neal message. And look, sorry, Kyler. I didn't, I didn't check see if this was okay. If I use your words, but I'm going to uh, Kyler Neal said, look, if, if you see Davis doesn't have Dan Hawkins as a head coach, cause Dan Hawkins is a very good coach talent wise. Davis is probably bottom is one of the bottom tier teams in the big sky. Dan Hawkins makes that much of a difference. And you know what? I'm going to co-sign that. Uh, I feel like UC Davis after the 2018 season where UC Davis made a huge turnaround lost in the third round of the FCS playoffs to Eastern Washington, an absolutely kick-ass game. Davis has been a little underwhelming compared to what expectations were. But I think after that 2018 season, people still have not fully adapted to what UC Davis is just like in 2021, UC Davis beats FBS Tulsa in week one. People have pretty high expectations for UC Davis that I just don't think are where uh, the Aggies are. So I say 2.5 because if you're t- UC Davis has pretty high academic standards, they're competing with some pretty tough schools in that, in that Bay area. And they've been able to turn their football program around with Dan Hawkins. Davis used to be just a dumpster fire. I think Hawkins has established a very high floor for what UC Davis is used to. And I don't think 
anything's really going to drop Davis below being a 500 ish team. Like, you know, this year Davis is, has a very good shot at finishing five and six on the year uh, with no real particularly impressive wins. It's just scheduling sets it up. Uh, but teams like Idaho teams like Sacramento state are still going to see UC Davis on their schedule. And know that's a, that's a game that you can't take lightly. So if relative to what UC Davis has been historically, that's why I say 2.5. This is a team that just covered. They're strong offensively right now in a way that you could reasonably expect. Those numbers look even better after this run of four games. Uh, defensively, Davis is not terrible. They're certainly not an elite level defense. Uh, yet again, same asterisk with first two games in Big Sky play were against pretty damn good teams. However, uh, Davis acquitted themselves quite well against Weber State, forcing three turnovers to keep that game close. So the the defensive stats are probably in line with what Davis actually is. So Hope Index uh, gives them a 2.5. Moving on, we're now in the interesting part of the power rankings, guys. We have a, have a bit of reshuffling. Former number one, University of Montana drops down to number five. Uh, might sound like a big drop, but it's more indicative of other teams in the big sky just looking pretty damn well. Uh, the Grizzlies hosted Idaho this weekend at Washington Grizzly Stadium. Game I was at, so I can give you a couple of observations. Idaho, look, Montana led 6-3 at the end of the first quarter, and the game was... I mean, look, it was kind of, it was a slugfest for sure. Most of the way through, but Idaho wins 30 to 27. So Montana goes down. Idaho led by 14 points late in the fourth quarter. Montana picks up a late touchdown that has an onside kick with about a minute left in the game to try to, uh, to get, you know, that desperation drive, but onside kick doesn't work out. So Idaho takes victory formation twice game over. Here's the thing for the Grizz. They're, they were number two or number three, depending on what poll you look at, heading into this game against Idaho. And the Grizz gained 220 total yards against the Vandals. Defensively, Montana looks real, real tough against the run. We'll hit their stats because the Grizz are very good against the run. But this Montana team is, they are susceptible uh, to being exploited through the air. Sagan Gronauer at Idaho State had better stat line than he should have again against Montana uh, before the bye week. And then this week, uh, Giovanni McCoy goes for 344 yards against the Grizz. There's a couple things you got to look at in Montana that Grizz fans are a bit frustrated about. One is, uh, look, messaging out of Montana heading into this week was not really taking Idaho seriously. And, well, that didn't work out too well for the Grizz. Uh, Idaho's not a bad loss whatsoever. Heading into this game where Montana's number two or three and Idaho's unranked, that on paper looks like a bad loss, but Idaho is going to be making going to jump pretty high up in the rankings based off this win. So a step, you know, a day after uh, losing by seven to a to at least probably top 15. If the voters are not morons, Idaho is going to be at least top 15. So Montana losing to a top 15 team. That's not what you call a bad loss. And the Grizz lost by seven. Grizz also made a decent amount of stakes that if you're a Grizz fan, and you say this game's replayed a hundred times. There are certainly games where not making those mistakes could lead to Montana winning. However, they were not all the mistakes that we talk about was just Montana shooting itself in the foot. Idaho plays good on both sides of the ball. That's why this game was a slugfest for Montana. Lucas Johnson has easily his worst game as a Grizz in my mind. Uh, goes quarterback Lucas Johnson goes 20 37, 186 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. And those two picks were on back to back pass plays. 
just backbreaking uh, for Montana. Rushing the ball, nothing really to note with Montana. They rushed 18 times for 34 yards. So I guess that's maybe the big cause for concern with Montana is gaining 220 yards against Idaho uh, and not being able to run the ball whatsoever. The Vandals are a strong rush defense. So a lot of teams aren't going to be, are not going to be able to run the ball that well against Idaho. But if you're a top two or three team like Montana, 18 rushes for 34 yards. Yes, there were sacks in there. Yes, there was a, there was a drop, there was a drop punt. Uh, that ended up becoming a safety that took 19 yards off. So look, there's between Lucas Johnson sacks and that punt, uh, the Grizz lost 30 yards. So a total of uh, 16, uh, so a total of about 13 rushes for 64 yards, still not good enough. Grizz get annihilated time of possession, 42 minutes for Idaho, 18 for the Grizz. Really, that's the part to be concerned about for Montana first is offensively. Yes, the Grizz scored 23 points, but special teams, the Grizz gave up about six points, which is nearly that that nearly explains the, the, the final score. But uh, second, that Montana offensive line does not look like the quality offensive line you would expect from a number two, number three team. The, so in short, the Grizz really need to get that offense situated uh, whether that means leaning on the pass a bit more, although look again, Lucas Johnson was not that effective against Idaho anyway. So I don't honestly, you, you just say Idaho had Montana figured out offensively, uh, but defensively Montana, they're, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board a bit on how they defend the pass. And a real thing I noticed sitting in that game, Bobby Houck is pretty rigid about one about his system is his system. No player is greater than the whole system. The system works. Well, Montana has a Buck Buchanan finalist at cornerback, Justin Ford. And for more than half the game, I watched Justin Ford match up with tight ends and sometimes third string tight ends who, look, I have a podcast covering Idaho. One of the guys I saw Justin Ford matched up on, I don't even, I didn't even know what the dude's name was. Uh, that's how, that's how far down the depth chart. Uh, Justin Ford, Buck Buchanan award finalist from last season. That's what, how he was being used. Meanwhile, Hayden Hatton for Idaho shreds Montana for 149 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Well, look, most of the game, Justin Ford wasn't matched, matched up on him. So look, there's a little bit of stubbornness that is at least putting Montana, not in the best situation at times and good teams against Montana are going to look to exploit the secondary, specifically the safeties of Montana. So uh, look, coach Alex going to have to go back to the drawing board and coach Alex, a very good FCS coach. He is, his worst season, FCS to my knowledge, is 2018 coming back to Montana where they go six and five. And then the last two normal seasons, Montana's a final eight team. So look, it's not like the bottom has dropped out for Montana. They're still a very good football team. But there's a team that heading into this week, fans had fans what fans were curious about is is this a national title level team? And I gotta tell you, if Montana can't fix that offensive line and start getting better production offensively, this is no question not a national championship team probably a playoff team, but Montana, look, they've got a pretty rough, they've got a rough schedule coming up. So if the, the Grizz don't have a lot of time to fix what's not working on offense, but again, defensively, Grizz are a kick-ass defensive team, especially against the rush. Uh, they give up 52 rushing yards on 44 attempts from Idaho. Jason Eck tried to run the ball against Montana and it just did not work. So it's not like everything's broken in Montana. It's just relative to the top five expectation there's some things that Bobby Hawks got to look at. So hope misery index for Montana 
even after losing this game, well, you, you got to say the hope index is about uh, four, uh, 3.5 worst case scenario. The 0.5 comes in looking at how Montana has at Sacramento state this week and at Weber state next week, meaning no time to, to fix what's what's wrong that the Grizz are going to fix their offensive issues right now, or they're not going to Sacramento state is probably the better matchup of those two for Montana to have this week because Weber state's a much stronger defensive team than Sacramento state Montana, even in this game where the Grizz couldn't move the ball. Well, they, they still held Idaho Idaho scored 30 points, which is a solid outing against the Grizz. It's the best outing any team has had this season, but still 30 points is certainly not, you know, breakaway numbers for a game where the Grizz certainly can point to parts where uh, Montana certainly did not execute the way they needed to the players. And strategically Montana was not where they needed to be against a team like Idaho, but you still got to have the hope index pretty damn high because Montana has a ton of things going well with it. The fan base has high expectations. So look, if this team settles in the top 15, that's a disappointment for Montana. But there's a ton of teams in the nation would kill for a top 15 finish. In Idaho, they're going to be stoked to be considered top 15 right now because of how last decade's been. Montana's just different. Uh, but there is real concern in Grizz Nation because that second half of the season, just talked about Sacramento State and Weber State. The Grizz also close out the season last two weeks, hosting Eastern, then traveling to Bozeman for Montana State. So really, the the Grizz beat the hell out of a ton of awful teams to start the season. Idaho, you might say, was the official start to Montana season, and the Grizz lost. But uh, look, overall, Montana d- defense, they're exactly what you we thought heading into the season, except a little bit more exaggerated. Montana's a very good defensive team. The issue is offensively. Uh, overall in the big sky, uh, Montana, Montana sits to- in total yards. Montana's the number 10 team offensively in the big sky, 356.7 yards per game, 12 touchdowns rushing wise. Montana sits at number seven at 147.7 yards per game, 4.4, yards per rush. However, they've only played one like real team in Idaho. So keep that in mind with those stats, uh, passing in the big sky, Montana's number 10, 209 yards per game, six touchdowns, three picks in big sky play. So like those offensive stats you can tell are not uh, certainly not overwhelming. Uh, defensively though, story is a bit different. Uh, Montana's got the, has the number two overall defense in the big sky, giving up 308 yards per game uh, against the rush. Montana, Again, number two overall, giving up 76.7 yards per game. But at an at at a per rush attempt basis, Montana has the best rush defense in the Big Sky, giving up two yards per rush and three total touchdowns against the against the pass. Montana not not as strong against the pass, but as they're against the rush, it's pretty damn hard to beat surrendering two yards per rush. The Grizz sit at uh, number five in Big Sky, giving up 231.3 yards per game they've given up four four passing touchdowns they picked off three passes so uh, look clearly the jury's in weakness for montana defensively is through the air uh, real strength is against the rush and getting to the quarterback on the offensive side of the ball there's some work to do in particular just rush offense not where it needs to be for what bobby Houck wants number four is the other end of that game we just talked about idaho which look the idaho end of this game is holy hell the Vandals 
have uh, and this maybe shouldn't be a surprise. Idaho sits at four and two right now. Their their hope index is a five with how the season's gone. Idaho's had four road games again at Washington State, at Indiana, uh, at Northern Arizona, and at Montana. In Big Sky play, the Vandals are two known those road games. But as far as showing up for road games, Vandals are four and zero in showing up and competing real damn well. So against Montana, the Idaho end. Is the Vandals strategic? Look, absolutely, Vandals outcoached Montana. There is no question whatsoever. Uh, Jason, Ag- Jason Eck and Co. on the offensive side of the ball, they were flexible with their play calling enough. Idaho could not run the ball against Montana whatsoever. But Giovanni McCoy, redshirt freshman, who's just been kicking ass this season, he goes 21 to 27, 286 yards, two touchdowns, did throw one pick. Patrick O'Connell for Montana, one of the best defenders in the nation. Uh, just picked the power play. Uh, but McCoy through the air did absolutely what he needs to. Jason Eck and Co are showing a little more confidence in let, letting McCoy and being willing to rely on McCoy to win games as the season stretches. The pass to rush ratio, it's still clear Jason Eck wants his teams to rush more. 44 rushes against Montana, 28 passes, even though those 44 rushes against Montana accrued 52 total yards. So, look, nothing going what really on the ground. Anthony Woods. True freshman leads Idaho on the ground, 12 rushes for 31 yards, a long of 13. So look, handle that math. Other than that one 13-yard rush, Anthony Woods rushes 11 times for 18 yards. Number two rusher for Idaho, Eli Cummings, rushes 13 times for 19 yards, a long of eight. So take away his breakaway rush of eight, 12 rushes for 11 yards. Roshan Johnson, Four rushes for one yard. He did get a touchdown. That touchdown was a backbreaker for Montana in the fourth quarter. I lost my voice screaming at the at the field. Game over. That's a touchdown to put Idaho up fourteen against Montana late in the fourth. But uh, look, Jason Eck, what was flexible enough in letting Giovanni McCoy win the game offensively? Then the defensive side of the ball, Idaho gave up two hundred twenty yards in every way that Montana was tough against the rush. Idaho was equally tough against the rush as Montana and Idaho was much stronger against the pass. You know, Lucas Johnson, 186 yards on 37 pass attempts plus two turnovers with which the other strategic thing for Idaho, both these teams in this game, the middle of intermediate passes across the middle were open for most of this game. Idaho was willing to take that enough to, to accrue yards, which then set up some testing of the secondary deep, which Hayden Hatton and Jermaine Jackson for Idaho definitely punished Montana's secondary. Hayden Hatton, nine catches for 149 yards and two touchdowns, including a 43-yard touchdown. Jermaine Jackson, seven catches for 95 yards. Montana was not quite as willing to take the middle, but when Montana finally became a little more aggressive, trying to trying to hit that middle zone late in the fourth quarter, which that's part part one of Idaho out coaching Montana, is Montana not taking enough of what Idaho is giving. Idaho started to let their linebackers stay at home, and that's where we had back to back picks from Luke Johnson. Yeah, Grizz fans are going to say those were two bad picks. Well, they're bad picks because Idaho had to play red. First pick was from Paul Mwala, linebacker. Second pick was Tommy McCormick, McCormick, cornerback. So Idaho strategically just, it was checkmate uh, against Montana. This was a clinic put on by Jason Eck, 
Luke Schleisner offensively for Idaho and uh, Rob Orich on the defensive side of the ball. So like Idaho, this is a statement win. Now it was a seven point game. So it's not like Idaho beat the shit out of Montana. And even in a game where Idaho just allows 220 yards uh, winning by just seven. If you're a Grizz fan, what you say is, well, we played Idaho killed us and we were as bad offensively as we could be. And the game was still a seven point game. That's the Grizz fan angle. The Idaho angle is with a first year head coach, Idaho is in a complete turnaround. They came into the best environment in the big sky and beat the Grizz 30-23 in a game that Idaho led by 14 late. So hope index for Idaho, it's five. It's pretty dang tough to have a better situation than for the Vandals right now than, than what they have, especially you look at what the last decade has been for Idaho. Sorry, dudes. Um, so yeah, Idaho hope index five. They're gonna they're gonna host Portland State next week. The discussion now for Idaho is playoffs. Like this is this is no longer a hey if things break right. Idaho's got four FCS wins. They really can. They really could put this together. And reasonably now, look at Idaho's schedule. Vandals will be favored in all but one game. That's at Sac State. Sorry, dudes. The one man show means you mute once in a while. Moving on from number four, Idaho is. Number three, Montana State. Montana State had, for them, kind of like an uninspiring first half. Montana State handles Northern Colorado 37-14. to 14. Uh, But the, you know, the game was in question a little bit longer than you'd hope for. Uh, Montana State did have Tommy Malott came back. Start, he's uh, started the season at quarterback, went down with injury, then Sean Chambers came in, played pretty damn well as a similar type of player as Tommy Malott. But uh, Brent Vegan's not going to pull his starting quarterback due to injury. Malott comes in, goes 16 to 20 for 217 yards and three touchdowns against the Bears. Malott also rushes seven times for 40 yards. So, yeah, pretty damn good game. Lane Sumner leads the way on the ground for the Bobcats, 22 rushes for 130 total yards. Uh, defensive side of the ball, the Bobcats. They're probably a little bit pissed about letting Northern Colorado hang around, giving up 394 total yards to the Bears. And not that's not like the worst outing, of course, but Northern Colorado is just a different class than Montana State. Uh, I bet this game felt pretty similar to for Bobcat fans is when Idaho beat Northern Colorado 35-55 a few weeks ago. But the Bears hung around a little bit longer than, than you'd expect. So relative to Big Sky overall stats, Montana State sits with a number three offense in the Big Sky, 491 yards uh, per game, scored 19 touchdowns. Scoring-wise, Montana State's the number two scoring team in the Big Sky, 38.3 points per game. Defensive side of the ball, Montana State's got the number five overall defense, 363.5 yards per game against the Rush. Uh, Montana, def- Montana State defensively, they're number five, 142.8 yards. And also, but on the ground, Montana State, number two rushing offense in the league. Just behind the team, we're going to hit in a second. Uh, Montana State, 12 touchdowns in league play, 291.5 yards uh, per game on the ground. And that's the identity of this Bobcats team. So, look, hope slash misery index for Montana State. Uh, you got to put that at a f- four, 4.5. Montana State of the top teams has the easiest schedule to close the season. 
Now there isn't really a signature win yet uh, for, for the Bobcats. They're going to have a chance though this week hosting Weber state, Weber state, a team we're going to get to in a second. The Wildcats are very good, but so are the Bobcats um, other than Weber state, the uh, Montana state will host Montana to, to close the season as they always do that sandwiched in between uh, Northern Arizona and Cal Poly. So look, worst case scenario in FCS play or in big sky play Montana state looks like they'll finish six and two. That's absolute worst case scenario. Eight nose on the table. Honestly, if Montana state beats Weber this week, you, you should expect that Montana state uh, has a very good shot at finishing eight. No, but uh, Weber state's pretty tall task. The Bobcats do get to avoid both Idaho um, and Sacramento state. As far as the top of the conference, which uh, Montana state Montana doesn't get to avoid both those teams. Uh, Brent vegan year two uh, last season, Montana state made the national championship. Of course, it's his first Brent vegans first season. So majority, not his players. Well, as uh, vegans doing all he can so far in year two, the only loss for Montana state is to power five Oregon state. Bobcats looked like they're exactly the team they were before, except Tommy Malott's passing a bit better than Matt McKay did last season. So yeah, hope index, you call it a four or five. Uh, I'd say four. A lot of fans probably say five because it's been a kick-ass season for the Bobcats. Moving on from number three, at number two, we have Weber State. Now, Weber State's team, I've been voting number one because I think Weber State has some of the most impressive wins. But look, number two is not bad whatsoever. Uh, Weber State this week beats the hell out of Portland State. As already referenced, the Weber State angle. Yeah, the game is 42-7 to seven, Weber State. Uh, the Weber State angle is Bronson Barron, another strong outing. Uh, 21 to 31 for 274 yards passing, three touchdowns, one pick. Uh, on the ground, the Wildcats rushed 39 times for 269 yards and three touchdowns. So, look, there you go. A relatively even total yardage split of 286 through the air to 269 on the ground. Uh, pass play split was pretty damn even 37 passes to 39 rushes. And as far as uh, that, that Weaver state defense, which is always kicking ass. They give up 236 total yards to Portland state, just an overall complete ass kicking Weber state zero losses on the season. Uh, their, their second half of the season is much tougher. Just like every good team in the big sky has a tougher second half of the season because the schedule is just weird in that none of the good teams played each other early. And now to close the season every week, we're going to have some marquee matchups. This week, just as covered against with Montana State, Weber State is going to travel to Montana State. That's uh, one of the marquee matchups this week. Uh, Wildcats have a run of three games of Montana State, followed by Montana, followed by Sac State. That's that's part of what's going to shake out who are these top five stays in the top five. Weber State's got three tough ones back to back to back. Uh, but this this Wildcat team does look does look different overall. Mainly because Weber State is towards the top of the conference in offensive stats as well. Uh, overall, the Wildcats have the number four total offense at 457 yards per game, scored 13 touchdowns. Uh, defensively, Weber State has the number three overall defense, giving up 324.7 yards per game. Split a little bit further. The Wildcats are the number four rushing team at 215 yards per game. And the Wildcats have the number four rush defense, giving up 117 yards per game, one touchdown, and 3.2 yards per rush at a yard at a per 
rush basis, Weaver State's the number uh, three rush defense in the Big Sky through the air. That's kind of the revelation for the Wildcats. They're the number seven team in the Big Sky at 241.3 yards per game through the air. And defensively, the Wildcats are number three pass defense. So, look, they're strong across the board at this point, not yet number one in any stat, but top three in virtually every stat that matters except pass offense are in the middle. But look, that, that's a huge step forward for Weber State offensively. Uh, forever, Weber State was known as a team that's going to kill you on special teams, kill you on defense, and they might kill themselves offensively. Not the case for the Wildcats anymore. Their hope index, I'd put it four, but they're only at four because of that goddamn run of three games of um, Montana State, like just covered, of Montana State this week, Montana the week after, than Sac State. Otherwise, it's hard to be more stoked about what's going on in Ogden, especially that uh, – Offensive coordinator Mickey Mental has the space to op- to do what he wants. Jay Hill's letting him have a little bit of free reign in a way that his the previous offensive coordinators did not. This is not a team that's just ball control throughout the game. Bronson Barron's a solid big sky quarterback, probably top half of the league. Uh, not the best as referenced in their overall offense offensive passing stats, but. Barron's putting up good enough stats that he can, if he's not going to win a game for Weber state, he's certainly going to uh, be part of the reason why Weber state wins. That just hasn't been the case for Weber state for a while. And our new number one, Sacramento state, the Hornets are just blitzing teams, guys, Sacramento state this week, they blitz Eastern 52 to 48, before I go through the, the Sac State version of that stats, when I say blitzing, Sacramento State's worst offensive outing so far was week two at Northern Iowa scoring 37. Here's Sac State's points this week. Again, I covered it last week, but you, we, I just have to hit this. This is an offensive juggernaut in, in Sacramento. Week one, 56 points. Week two, 37 points. Week three, 41 points. Four, 49 points. Last week, 55 points. This week, 52 points against Eastern Washington. Maybe like the least surprising thing in that I'm going to cover is Sac State. They're averaging 52 points per game right now. Easily best in the big sky. Number two is Montana State at 38. That's a four, that's a two-touchdown gap between the best scoring offense and the second best scoring offense. Sacramento State's got the best scoring offense, and they are just rolling teams. What might surprise you guys, is Sacramento State isn't necessarily rolling teams through the air. Look, against Eastern, uh, the Hornets accrue 525 yards. Only 140 of those yards come through the air. Jake Dunaway, 9 of 14 for 113 yards, three touchdowns and two picks. Asher O'Hara, four or five passes for 27 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. 19 total passes for Sacramento State. But that's the look, that's the call against Eastern Washington, who can't stop the run. Sacramento State rushes 62 times against the Eagles for 385 yards, three touchdowns, including Cameron Skadigbu, who is quickly becoming my favorite non-Idaho player in the big sky. Dude rushes 29 times for 201 yards, also has three catches for 41 yards and a touchdown. Cameron Skadabu and Nilonzo Gilliam are just in a death match right now for most productive running back in the big sky. And honestly, I would, if I had to pick one of those two for my team, I would go with Scadaboo right now. Scadaboo, the mo- most physical rusher in the big sky until Isaiah Fonse return- returns from Montana State. No news on that for, for Montana State. So until further notice, Cameron Scadaboo is 
uh, is my pick for best running back in the league, a clear brain dead, all big sky pick. Uh, still receiving numbers for Sacramento State are a little bit misleading uh, because, look, if you're only if you're only accruing 140 total passing yards, that's going to be split pretty evenly. Pierre Williams is just not going to take off for Sacramento State as a wide receiver the way he did last year when Pierre Williams was an all big sky, uh, first team all big sky player. But that means that dude still has a talent even even if he's not getting the reps. Sacramento State, man, again, just got to hit the stats. Look, the, the excitement, the hope factor for stat, Sacramento State's five. This team has lost one Big Sky game since Troy Taylor came to Sacramento in 2019. One Big Sky lost total. 7-1 first year, 8-0 last year. Sacramento State, this season in the Big Sky, they sit at 3-0 They sit at three and in Big Sky play with wins over Cal Poly, Northern Colorado and Eastern look, those are not impressive wins in Sacramento state. They have their own murderous row to run through in the next three weeks of uh, hosting Montana, hosting Idaho, then traveling to Weber state. So how the Hornets doing those three games is going to dictate how they shake out uh, Sacramento state. They're look, they're top five in the nation, the number one in our poll because they are just blitzing teams. And look, don't, don't ignore the stack, the Sac State scores just because to, because they played three garbage defenses in the Big Sky. Worst offensive output for Sac State is 37 against Northern Iowa. Sac State put up 41 against Colorado State. Sure, Colorado State sucks, but they're FBS with FBS resources. Colorado State would not win the Big Sky, but they would not finish last in the Big Sky. Uh, so look, that's just week after week. Sacramento State is looking pretty damn impressive. Uh, just a couple more individual rankings for Sacramento State. Surprise, surprise, Hornets are the top offense in the Big Sky. 570 yards per game, 20 touchdowns for Sacramento State in three Big Sky games. Uh, rushing the ball, best rush attack in the league for Sacramento State. 314 yards per game, 12 touchdowns, 5.9 yards per rush. Passing, Sacramento State's not as high up because they don't pass as much, and their their quarterback split guarantees Asher O'Hara mostly just does short yardage passage, so that kind of screws up their averages. Uh, Sacramento State, the number six passing team in the Big Sky, 255 yards, still eight touchdowns. Four, they've thrown four picks. Defensively, Sacramento State, number four defense in the Big Sky, 340 yards per game, allowed eight total touchdowns. Uh, against the rush set the Hornets look at the Hornets sit as the number three rushing defense, allowing 89 yards per game. Look, there's three big sky rush defenses that are just murdering teams, allowing less than a hundred yards per game. None of them are Weber state. That's Idaho is the top at 61 rushing yards allowed Montana number 276 Sacramento state at number three. That's just a, that's Sacramento state is right up there with some killer defenses against the rush. And we'll say as a minor pause, Cal Poly is a terrible rushing team. UNC can't rush and Eastern can't rush. So we're going to see in these next few weeks if those numbers are for real. But the numbers accrued so far for SAC are pretty damn good. I'd expect they're going to get much worse, but that's because of, uh, Sacramento State goes from playing three of the worst rushing teams to playing three pretty damn, mostly effective to solid uh, rushing teams. Against the against the pass, Sacramento State defensively, they're number seven. Uh, so 251 yards per game, allowed four touchdowns, picked off three passes. So look, the 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 weakness of the Sac State defense right now is through the air. 
Uh, we're going to see if there's enough teams that can exploit that in the big sky for it to matter because it's covered earlier. Teams are moving more towards ball control in the big sky. Uh, but Sacramento State, look, they're hoping Dex is five. Kick-ass season for them so far. Uh, this episode, you guys, was brought to us by Hughes River Expedition, as all, all shows on Tubbs Club are. If you're looking for a great, all-inclusive, week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal-owned and operated since 1976 and ready to take you on a vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Enjoy a multi-day trip down the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the main Salmon River, no return, the Salmon River Canyons or the Selway. Check out special trips like the one to see the Perced Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, fish on the most remote stretches of the river in the country, and you just bring your clothes, let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expedition. Grab a paddle, catch dinner, ride the bull all throughout the Gem State. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Guys, thanks for joining. The We're going to keep running the power rankings. We're going to keep sticking forks in teams. We have about not quite half the league has their has forks stuck in them. By the end of next week, we're going to be right around half. So the focus is really just going to be the top half of the conference in terms of the time, time spent, like we've seen this week, where much more time was spent from Montana on. Thanks for joining us. Hit that subscribe button to support Tubbs the Club. You, we get to 1,000 subscribers. YouTube starts paying us. Uh, when we post this, uh, we'll post the, this result on Twitter. We post this in the FCS Reddit page. Let us know what we got wrong. Shoot us your own poll as well. We're game for the discussion. That Look, my personal poll doesn't match our official poll. I already said Weber State, I put number one. Idaho, I put number three. But we're interested in what you have. Anyway, guys, thanks for joining. And now we're going to hit a couple buttons to uh, end this episode. See you next time.